0: At Angel's Envy, envy is a good thing. It motivates us in the pursuit of better. It inspires moments worth talking about. Moments worth remembering. Moments that raise the bar. Like crafting a bourbon. Even the angels would envy. Angel's Envy. Worth the envy. Please drink responsibly. 2024. Angel's Envy. Bottled by Louisville Distilling Company, Louisville, Kentucky.
1: Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for Star Wars Rebels, kind of, as well as a discussion of lots of horror, sci-fi, fantasy books, shows, movies, and more. Hello, my name is Jason Concepcion. And I'm Rosie Knight. And welcome, for the final time, to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Media podcast, where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture.
3: For one last time in this episode. One last ride. One last ride. In the airlock, it's a giant mailbag. We're we're clearing out the mailbag of all the best questions you guys have sent that we haven't been able to answer, and a few new ones that you sent to. And in Nerd Out, this is a great final nerd out for this iteration of the pod. Someone who's been so important to our pod, to our Discord community, is H, the co-host of the Escape Hatch podcast, formerly known as June Pod, and he's going to be nerding out about something really special. Coming up, mailbag.
1: from J.M. (laughs) What are some of your favorite image or other independent comics? Have either of you read The
3: Department of Truth by James Tinian Four, I have read that. Uh, Very good. Rosie, any thoughts? (sighs) My favorite image comics, man, there are so many. Definitely for me, I mean, obviously we talk a lot about the big ones like Saga, you know, stuff like that. I am very... Uh, I have a very big soft spot in my heart for The Wicked and the Divine. Oh, uh, great one. By Jamie McKelvey and Kieran Gillen, Colors by Matt Wilson. Like, That is a book that was very much a huge part of my comic book experience when I was working in the comic shop. It was something when I was really getting back into comics after Young Avengers. So I always send people that way. I will also just say, like, no surprises to anyone, but I love Spawn. I'm like, if you haven't checked out Spawn, just read Spawn. Wow! Like, I love Todd McFarlane, the Todd father, you know. He, I feel like he's grown into a great kind of uncle of comics over the years. There was a great video recently on Wired that was like a him answering questions about making comics that kind of enamored me to look back at Spawn again. So I would say, like, especially those first kind of 11 issues is really just good stuff and also ultimate wife guy comic because he basically (laughs) like he literally was like what would hell be and he would be like hell would be for me that i couldn't see my wife again and i just i love that energy so what about you what are some of your favorite um
1: well first of all let me uh speak on the department of truth which is a fantastically so good prescient and very artistically like genre pushing book that To be 100% honest, I can't, I have to read one issue basically a week because it melts my brain too much and gives me a headache. But I love that book. I would say here's a here's a rec that I got um, from Zig lately that I love. Mm-hmm. Do a power bomb.
3: Oh, it's fun so image. good! Just a, won an Eisner Award. Just won an Eisner Award. Uh, seven issues. Yeah, Daniel Warren Johnson, just a total powerhouse in the comics industry. Just absolutely unbelievable. And so the
1: idea is, um, it, you know, it's this dimension where everyone's a professional wrestler, and they don't know that in this world professional wrestling is fake. It's super fun. Just. Wonderful. The art is wonderful. Uh, Funny and fast-moving. Loved it.
3: Yeah, it's great stuff. There's so many good image comics, so just go, go to your comic shop and ask them to show you all the image trades. They're very affordable, great place to jump on. This was a good question. Love image comics. Next question. With so much good stuff out there, this is a good soundtrack for this. Sometimes I go through periods of time where I find it hard to decide what to watch next, Sergio says. I feel like whatever I decide to watch... There's something better I could be watching. Since I recently went through this, my question is for you, do you ever feel the same way? And do you have yeah. your own ways to get around it? So do you ever get overwhelmed by the amount of great stuff out there to choose? I, I
1: do. I deal with it in different ways. So with TV, I'm a completionist. If I start, I'll finish it, even if it sucks and I don't like it. Um, just because I find it useful to articulate why I don't like the thing and be like, "Do I have they changed? Have they changed my mind? Did they, did, they, did they win me over or did they not? With books, if I am not in like after the first 50
3: pages,
1: mm-hmm. then I'm just going to move on to That's another That's something
3: book. I've learned how to do this year with books because yeah. I used to always have to finish. And I was like, wait a minute. I could be reading a great book or rereading something I There's really There's just loved. so many books.
1: Yeah. There's literally like five centuries of books. Yeah, yeah, there's like so many more books
3: than you could ever even comprehend to read in your
1: life. <laughs> so with that with those I think the last book that I read that I like pushed through to read that I hated for the first like 100 pages was the uh uh Children of Men, the original oh, yeah. the book version of Children of Men, which is significantly different than the movie. Which is obviously a masterpiece, which is my favorite movie maybe ever, but the so the Book is really, really different, and it's really just kind of, like, is revving its engine for the first mm. 100 pages. Um, although, ends really interestingly, and it's, you know, significantly different. But that was the last time I read a book that I'm like, ah, I hate this. Yeah. Um, usually, I'm just out. I, I also try to select shows specifically for Can I Finish It? Yes. Like, I started watching Hijack on mm-hmm. your recommendation. Exactly.
3: Just the trashiest, most silliest fun It's just thing. people
1: on a plane who are all stupid yeah. and are making the dumb decision. At all times. At all times. And it's only
3: seven episodes. It's So I can <laughs>
1: absolutely get to the end of that one because I'm just like, wait, why did you? Why did they do this? Oh, it's the it. ultimate it's yelling episodes. at the TV show. Yeah, like, don't do that. Don't do it, bro.
3: <laughs> it, it, every decision Idris makes is terrible, but you're like, Idris, I
1: love you. Hey. Please make this work it's out. It's well known that if you hijack a plane, you can do anything you want. The pilots are not opening the fucking door
3: don't even get me
1: started they're not opening it do they open the door in this show Uh, spoiler alert (laughs) for the craziest
3: (laughs) fucking reason yeah absolutely deranged television i i approach this with something i'm trying to bring more into my life when i was younger i was definitely like a fomo person like fear of missing out and that also included tv i needed to watch every prestige thing i wanted to be in the conversation i feel like in our job that's part of it too whether it's talking about TV or trying to write our own TV. But as I get older, I'm embracing Jomo, the joy of missing out, (laughs) like being happy that I don't know about something or that I stayed home or whatever instead of going out. So I generally am the same. I'm like, do I think I can finish something? The Bear, I'm going to watch it. It's like, I know that I'm going to like it. I know I can finish the episodes. English TV trained me on shorter seasons. Yeah. So like, Something I recently started that I definitely did not need to and will take me like three years was Supernatural because everyone was like, God, why haven't you watched this? Like, please just fucking like watch Supernatural. So I got it on DVD and I'm going to watch it at some point. But it's like, I've kind of, I just focus on things that my friends like that I want to watch. If it's something I'm covering, then I'll obviously watch it. But I think the best thing is just try something. Also, if you're in that stage where you're feeling really overwhelmed, maybe go back to something that made you really excited about TV And kind of rekindle that feeling and then you can kind of start new stuff because it is so overwhelming.
1: Yes, but I guess the the number one thing we're both saying is value your time. Exactly. Just value your time. There is so much good stuff out there that just... Mm -hmm allow something to resonate with you.
3: Yeah, exactly. Especially because now there are streaming services like Criterion, Shudder. There's every kind of niche streaming service where you can really be catered to. So you don't just have to watch stuff for the sake of it. Like find something that resonates with you and enjoy your time watching it.
1: Alex asks, when will we see Mephisto
3: (laughs) for the first time in the MCU? Wow. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate this question. As a huge part of the reason to blame for the Mephisto scandal of the <laughs> Wonder Vision era of Marvel TV <laughs> as somebody who was a Mephisto truther. You know, who knows? I have heard rumors that they are going to cast uh, Sasha Baron Cohen as Mephisto Sorry. and he will be in Ironheart and he will be like a businessman version of Mephisto. Who among us knows? I do believe Mephisto will be in the MCU soon, but I also believe that the people behind the MCU understand the weight of introducing Mephisto now post WandaVision. So it will probably be, I would say, before Phase 6. Well, definitely before the X-Men are introduced, but otherwise, I mean, who knows?
1: Fantastic Four. Yeah. I think it's Fantastic Four.
3: I like that. He's a, he's an important kind of play thing in that world. And, I, and
1: uh, prediction... I think they retcon, it's not even retcon because the phases have not come out yet, but I think they, uh, because of the Kang issues, I think, they, I think they switch gears and the bad guy, the yeah. big bad guy is Mephisto.
3: Mephisto's the easiest retcon because you can just he's say he's been saved. controlling everything yeah. the whole time, so it's very easy for them to do that. So Alex, the answer is soon, but we don't know when, but you know when he does show up, we will have something to say about it. Just curious if you guys have watched any of the newest Star Trek content being put on Paramount Plus and can it get a little bit of X-Ray love? Jason, have you watched any of those shows? I have.
1: And it will get some X-Ray love when next we see you again. again. (laughs) (laughs) So stay tuned watching your podcast feeds for when we reappear back in such a place. Cool Kid Coda asks, thoughts on the X-Men run since 2019? Started reading Dawn of X and want to know what y'all think of it. I think it's the best time ever to be an X-Men fan.
3: It's so great. Like There hasn't been an era like this since like New X-Men. And even at the time, people didn't really know Morrison and Quietly's New X-Men was this huge era. I feel like something they did really well with uh, House of X and that whole X era and the Hickman X office is they got people excited for the event space that it was in. And obviously now... You have all these beautiful collections you can read to lead into everything coming up to you know, the fall of X and the huge events of the Hellfire Gala recently. I just think it's so much fun. I also think this is one of the X-Men eras which we haven't had enough of in recent years where there's something for everyone. Yeah. You like a comedy comic, read Hellions. Like you wanna read something that's serious and scary get in the main Hickman stuff. You want to enjoy incredible production on your comics in a way you've never really seen before in design. That's Tom Muller designing those books. Like, this is just such an interesting, good space, and I love it. And I'm excited to see what happens next with this era of the X-Men because I do think it's one of the strongest that we've had for a very long time.
1: Yeah, as a long time as a lifelong X-Men fan. I've just... I've always just wanted them to have a place, and mm-hmm. the Krakoa era is the X Men with a place in the world that's pretty much inviable now. Well, I think what's really interesting about what's going on now is having given them a chance to govern themselves. You know, what is the what's the uh, quote from uh, Abraham Lincoln that? Um, from like eighteen thirty-eight or whatever. <laughs> like will a will a European giant step across the ocean and smash us at a blow? No, if we're uh, if destruction is to be our lot, we will be its author. Yeah. The X-Men, you know, there's too much drama in that group. <laughs>
3: it's some petty group. Man. Hard to
1: hard to govern themselves when there's that much drama, that much history. And I yeah. think that's what's really interesting about it. But it's been the best I think it's been the best time ever, literally ever, to be an X-Men fan. There's so many books. The books are great. There's so many different kinds of people telling the stories. They're, they have a power in the in this world now. They're not just, like, on the edge of extinction, mm-hmm. being hounded, like, to the death or living in a city or an island off the coast of a city somewhere, just, like, trapped there. They have a nation, a burgeoning nation. They start to colonize space. They're a real power now. The question is, like, what what will they do with it, and how will they serve? But it's been fantastic, and and adding to the points you made, it's been a real eye opener f- in terms of the characters who've been allowed to really pop and resonate. Like Mister Sinister. This is like, there's never been a better time to be like, oh, yeah, Mister Sinister is
3: vibey, a, just vibey, funny, vibey, guy. incredible cape. Yeah, I love him. Anders asks, this is a great question for you, Jason. Oh. For those who want to consume content responsibly during the strike, is there anything we should or shouldn't do to show solidarity? I have seen mixed reports going around about whether or not to boycott or cancel subs to con- certain streaming services, et cetera.
1: Yeah. I mean, the WGA and SAG uh, both have not said people should boycott. Yeah, people there's should no boycott cancel. There's no, there's nobody's calling for that. Um At the same time, like your dollar is your dollar (laughs) and send it where you want, depending on how much value you think you're getting
3: back from it. Yeah. And and support the entertainment community fund, which we always link to in the show notes. Share posts. That's what a lot of writers and actors have been saying. So just show your solidarity online. And if and when that call comes, hopefully it won't. We're hearing, you know, there might be talks going on that could lead to a good resolution. If that call for a boycott comes, then you'll know because people will, will, they'll let you know.
1: Anders asks, what is a book series, comic series, video game series, any type of fandom, that you you have not yet personally got into but want to in the future? Rosie.
3: I really want to learn how to play Dungeons and Dragons. This is a great—I'm glad that you said this. That's my big—I want to have a campaign— I want to play with a party. Like, that's my big thing that I haven't gotten to do. And everyone I speak to, everyone I know who does it has the most fun. I met an amazing kid in the comic shop recently this weekend when I was at Spiro's Heroes celebrating their anniversary who recently got into it and they dress up with their party. Like, that's my big thing. I've got a lot of books of different tabletop games just because I like to read them, but I've never actually played a campaign. So that's my big one.
1: I, exact same answer. And... Extending on that, I recently purchased – this is a bad decision because I have a lot of actual work to do. <laughs> but I recently purchased Baldur's Gate 3, mm-hmm. which is, as far as I know it, from everything I have read, the most, like, granularly accurate depiction of playing yeah. d d in a video game. So I haven't played it yet. I'm, I'm – I guess this is like if this is what D&D is like tell me if I'm doing it wrong I've taken three days now to build my character just like choosing that sounds
3: exactly st- like the D&D stories I've heard <laughs> so
1: <laughs> I have not yet actually entered the mix <laughs> but I hope too soon and I too would love to uh, play D&D if you have a D&D game you're in LA yeah yeah uh, let us know X-Ray Vision will be back
0: at Angel Zendi. Envy is a good thing. It motivates us in the pursuit of better. It inspires moments worth talking about. Moments worth remembering. Moments that raise the bar. Like crafting a bourbon. Even the angels would envy. Angels Envy. Worth the envy. Please drink responsibly. 2024. Angels Envy. Bottled by Louisville Distilling Company, Louisville, Kentucky.
4: The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brandspark American Trust Study, each office independently owned and operated.
1: And we're back. Homemade Pepsi asks, what are some of your favorite superpower reveal moments in comics, movies, anything, like the reveal of the resurrection team in House Powers of X with the team on a suicide mission? That was great.
3: Yeah. Okay, so mine is like really, sorry, but this is like the nerdiest answer ever, but I stand by it and it also does connect to a modern thing. During Secret Wars, the the Jonathan Hickman, uh, Assad era, the final page when you and the real reason that they did the whole event, which was to bring Miles Morales into the main 616 universe from the Ultimate Universe, the way that they reveal that Miles is in the universe is on the page they change from mixed-case lettering, which is what they use in the Ultimate Universe, to all caps, and that's how you know Miles is in the main universe, and you know that now there is a new Spider-Man. That shit, like, blew my mind. I thought it was so clever and so subtle. And currently in the Ultimate Invasion book, also by Jonathan Hickman, which I am like absolutely loving. The first issue is one of my favorite issues of any comic I've read recently. That book, the letterer does the same thing where you learn which world you're venturing into with the lettering. And that's a Brian Hitch, who I think is at his best here, drawing and a color by Alex Sinclair. This book is just so cool. And for me, those little production nods where you learn, like, there is a huge power reveal that I won't spoil in the first issue of Ultimate Invasion, but you once again learn about it just by the fact that they're not using all caps, they're using Mixed Case. That, to me, is, like, some of the most powerful stuff that gets me, like, really excited.
1: That's a great answer. Uh, For me, I have to go back to the the heat of my uh, comic book uh, buying fandom... I am going to go with this. Is kind of a dodge, but I think it's I think it's uh, the correct way to answer this question. Personally, for me, it would be the reveal in Wolverine 75, <laughs> 1993's Wolverine number seventy five yeah, of Wolverine's bone claws. So, <gasps> so Man. Wolverine with the me- he had the adamantium still in his body. He had taken a t- taken a swing at Magneto and had cut him. Magneto got super mad and was like you fucking idiot. Master of Magnetism like you're still doing this you're still trying me and he's like I'm watch what real power is and he just like liquefies all the adamantium in Wolverine's body and sucks it out severely injuring him. And now we're thinking so you're thinking for a period of time now and I forget how many issues you're thinking of this. Like as he recovers and then eventually decides like well I can still be a help to the X-Men. Mm-hmm. You're thinking okay he doesn't ha- he doesn't have unbreakable bones anymore and he doesn't have the claws but he's still got the crazy healing factor some like he can still surely help and then um during a uh, a a training session mm-hmm. his he becomes like uh, you know it, instinctively like he's trying to to um and to contribute to the team and then all of a sudden snicked and these crazy, like, mangly-looking bone claws pop out of his hands (laughs) and he's, like, in immense pain. I have to say, as a kid, I was, like, freaking mind-blown No, definitely, because I feel like
3: all of us kind of also didn't really know, like, were the claws something they added in the Weapon X program? Like, are those naturally occurring as part of his mutation? But obviously that reveal is, like the bone claws, he had them all the time, they just covered them with adamantium. Yeah, they just covered
1: it or like replace whatever, however. However they did it. But I will also say that what's funny to me about that scene is like, so so Wolverine has just had, or recently had all the adamantium removed from his body and doctor turned villain, Moira McTaggart is there like with the rest of the X-Men, including Jubilee. Mm -hmm. You know, early 90s X-Men just kind of like watching him go through this session and be like, oh my God, like, He's too—he's too injured to do this, and blah blah blah. And then the bones, the claws pop out. It's crazy that Moira Taggart, a doctor, <laughs> a world-renowned doctor and scientist, was never like, "Hey, you just had all the metal pulled out of your body. Maybe I should How examine you, you. Let me take a look to see if anything has happened." Yeah. And so everybody is just surprised by the bone claws. Anyway, <laughs> that would the, be mine.
3: He had the healing ex machina. Uh, <laughs> Chris asks, where does Ahsoka happen in the timeline? Meaning the new Ahsoka TV show. I'm watching Rebels for the first time. Was delighted to see Mom Mothma finally going public with her rebellion. I realized Rebels must be after all the same time as Andor, so now I'm confused but excited about Ahsoka. I do actually know the answer to this. tell you. it. Okay, so the a brilliant actress who's playing Sabine Wren... Uh, Natasha Liu Bordizzo, she had said that it will occur concurrently to The Mandalorian Season 3, mm. which I believe The Mandalorian Season 3 is 11 ABY, which is basically like seven years after Return of the Jedi. So you're basically in that space between the old and the new. And it'll be very interesting to see because Also, we're now hearing these Ahsoka episodes are going to be in that 30-minute range. Mm. So, like, how much are they going to get in? I don't know. But, yeah, it will be concurrent at least partially to The Mandalorian Season 3.
1: That's very exciting. So, first, no for nascent First Order remnants of the Empire running around the galaxy where... And various, since you're just uh, watching Rebels, I almost (laughs) spoil it, but I won't. But let's just say various mysteries that uh, are presented to you at the end of Rebels, one surmises will then be answered by this.
3: I think that we have seen in the latest Ahsoka trailer some very (laughs) interesting locations from Rebels, especially near the end. So I'm excited. Slanderman
1: asks, this may have been answered in the past, but do you all have a definitive favorite (laughs) superhero movie? (laughs) If so, what separates it from the rest? Rosie?
3: This is such a hard question, obviously. I think if I'm the truest heart of heart answer for me, it's probably just Batman Returns. Okay. Like, I think it's... there. I love Batman 89. I love all the MCU movies. I love, like, Thor Ragnarok. There's so many different parts of those stories that I love. But when I think about, like, a movie that truly... As a little kid, I had seen Batman 89. It's actually, like, one of my earliest memories is watching it when I was, like, two. But Batman Returns was, like... I was a young goth. Like, I loved it. It has all these characters I love. Michelle Pfeiffer's obviously iconic. And I think that's probably the one I go back to a lot. And I think about a lot, like, what would a Batman Returns comic book look like? Like, what would these, what would the kind of stories I would want to tell in that world? And it has such an unbelievable cast. So I think for me, if I had to pick, it would be that one. But I hate to pick because it's really a spectrum. What about you? I think
1: for me, it would be... Probably the first Avengers movie. That's mm-hmm. not. I don't even think that's the best MCU movie. But I couldn't believe that they had done it yeah. and that they had done it really well, and that every character somehow had this really emotional arc that worked. Uh, and you know, when Banner says, "I'm always angry," it was like a fucking <laughs> and that rush.
3: 360 shot of them all standing oh, yeah, in New York. Yeah, it was awesome,
1: and that was sitting in the theater for that was like a mind-blowing experience um i it'd probably be a tie with um that and winter soldier just yeah winter Soldier. i just love winter soldier the elevator fight for me is the top three mcu moment ever
3: yeah and um eric asks he's been reading the black tongue thief based on jason's recommendation and he absolutely loves it says i'm sure this has come up previously any other suggestions of similar novels worth my time? And then he has a second, you, a follow-up. You but, you okay, have- okay, so he says, to, he asked me specifically, like, what are the best under-the-radar horror books to check out? I do read a lot of horror. I would recommend, I don't know how under-the-radar these are, but like, yeah. I, I love Riley Sager. Like, if you haven't read any of his books, he made this, he wrote this book called Final Girls, which is probably one of my favorites, which is like set in the world of slashers. He's done multiple different books and each one is kind of a playing on like a horror trope he did like a haunted house book like kind of inspired by amateurville and they all sit in like a mystery horror space Mm. i've also would say if you've never read clive barker's books of blood they're actually really easy to get now and those are so unreal like you will read those stories and whether you're a reader or a storyteller you will go oh my fucking god i've never read anything like this and it makes you want to tell Crazy stories. I mean, I, I love horror. I actually wrote a horror list at IGN as well that we can we can link back to because there's always so many different brilliant books out there. I also love Anything by Tanaree Jew. She has a new book out soon called The Reformatory. I've been reading a lot of Dark Academia recently. It's brilliant. Um, yeah, so check those out. Also, I would say I read a really great book that if you love horror, is worth reading, uh, called the Black Guy Dies First, and it is by a really brilliant woman called Dr. Robin Armin's coleman and an uh, author called Mark Harris, and it's this really fun academic history of horror and, like, blackness in horror, but it's put together in such an unbelievably readable way, and if you're a horror fan, you will just love it. Like, I recommend it to people when they ask me for horror books, because it makes such a good companion piece. To those books. So yeah, those are just some of them. But there's there's so many good ones. Jason, is there any more kind of like fantasy books in the vein Oof. of Black Tongue Thief that you love?
1: Well, I'll, I'll say some horror stuff. This is definitely not under the radar. Stephen King, but... <laughs> uh, he does have many books. I, yeah, I, my favorite... like, I, uh, When I was a kid, the, my favorite thing that Stephen King uh, wrote was a collection of short stories called Night Shift. I think this is his first collection mm-hmm. of short stories. And it's a bunch of... Stories that appeared when he was a freelancer in various men's magazines, uh, including Cavalier, Ubris, uh, Penthouse, you know, like, uh, lad mags of the day. And it is really gritty, scary stuff. And I just remember, i you know, it's very rare that I actually get scared, part of the reason that I... And like horror movies, it's like I can watch them in the middle of the night mm-hmm. and I just I enjoy them, but they don't really scare me. I got really scared by this book, Jerusalem's Lot. And all, almost all of these stories have been adapted into stuff. So it opens with Jerusalem's Lot, which is the vampire story that then became a vampire, I believe, TV miniseries. Yeah, Salem's Lot. Uh, starring David Soul. Really scary about this guy who like inherits this, like, mansion that then has creepy sounds and things happening inside of it is probably vampires living in the basement. Um, Graveyard Shift, which was, uh, I think, was also adapted, and I forget where. Uh, Night Surf, which is, like, super trippy. This is, like, a lot of this stuff is, like, Stephen King's, like, drug phase. <laughs> um, I Am the Doorway, which, like, is, I think, still one of the great, like, teleportation stories of mm-hmm. all the time. Um Uh, uh, Trucks, which became Maximum Overdrive. Um, Strawberry Spring, which to this day I find one of the absolute scariest reads ever about, I don't want to spoil it, but it's (laughs) about a series of serial killings that happen in and around a college campus when the fog of a of of a you know kind of like late summer uh rain are over the university and mm-hmm. it is really mind melting and scary. Um The Ledge, which is w- just one of the many stories from this that got uh, adapted for the um horror anthology, The Cat's Eye, if anybody oh, yeah, remembers yeah, Cat's yeah. Eye. Um Lawnmower Man, which became The Running Man, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Quitters Incorporated, that's another Cat's Eye one. Uh, Children of the Cord, which became a long running and Seven movies of that. Very, very campy uh, 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 movie series about a town in which, uh, like, you know, all the adults are murdered. Just like, uh, uh, great, 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 great. Um, and really, really scary. Check it out. Chris asks, "Who is the chosen one, Luke or Anakin?" I uh, think they're very. Cl- I think the prophecies were very clear. On this. Yeah,
3: I, I personally, I'm like a. I spent so much time in this world that I'm kind of like a a prophecy hater at this point. I feel like prophecies can always be misread or reread or reconstrued. I believe that they probably will keep finding a chosen yeah. one. I think when it, to fit their needs, that's kind of the problem with prophecies. But Jason, I believe you have a more distinct belief on this one. I mean, I think it's Anakin. I think Anakin was a
1: chosen one. I think that the prophecies were pretty clear and I think he did bring balance to the force. Now, Mm -hmm. like all prophecies worth their salt, there is a ton of context that is missing from the prophecy that, 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 detail how exactly you get to that point, but I think it's Anakin. Yeah. I think it's clearly Anakin. I
3: like the angle. He definitely did bring balance to force. It was just like, at what fucking cost? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay, another Star Wars question. JG asks, over under on one great Star Wars movie in the next decade. Do you think it's possible?
1: Great. That's the subjectiveness of it. This decade, so we have another... Let's call it...
3: In the next decade. So we've got 10 years. Oh, so we do have 10... Yeah, yeah. they'll get yeah, another so. great one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think the truth is that there will be some unique, interesting take, whether it's your 400,000 years ago at the beginning of The Force, whether it's some slightly lower budget, Western-inspired Star Wars movie, whether it's a Pixar droids movie. I just think there's so much scope. And I it feels unlikely at the moment because they have struggled to find the right thing. I believe that there will be a great Star Wars movie in the next decade. Because there tends to be. I think it's a cycle. It will happen.
1: One more short story. Mary Gates Gill wrote a story called The Other Place that appeared in The New Yorker maybe 10 or 12 years ago. That is... Nothing bad happens in it, but it is really, really scary from the perspective of... It's written um, from the perspective of an adult who has a kid who is displaying the same kind of violent fantasies that he had when he mm. was a younger man, and it it, it terrified me. It okay. really terrified me. Then in that
3: case, I just actually need to say, I, I believe this is under the radar if you don't randomly read like old yeah. horror shit. I would say, read Shirley Jackson's The Lottery, also published in the New Yorker. You can literally read it on the New Yorker website. They have that shit archive. That will terrify you. It will also make you so unbelievably furious that you have never come up with something so simple and then take a great joy in reading all the letters that were written about that story when it was first published is probably my favorite horror story ever and i live to create something that is just so unbelievably unsettling
1: Rebecca asks, Jedi Survivor spoilers here. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Spoiler, spoiler
3: warning. I can't help but think about how similar
1: Passing Through the Abyss is to 2001 Space Odyssey slash Interstellar. Any interdimensional travel in sci-fi pop culture, does anyone think Disney is trying to plant a multiverse seed here? I mean, you could argue. Always. And the person, Chris, of the Rebels Ahsoka question, uh, plug yours. <laughs> I think that stuff that happens at the end of Rebels very, 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 very clearly seeds the idea of maybe a multiverse in Star Wars. All of which is to say, Rebecca, I agree with you. I yeah, think I
3: right. totally agree with you. And I think that looking at like Dagon Jera and the idea of like how long people can survive in this space, I think that there is a multiverse is always afoot, especially because as we know from the history of storytelling, that is where you get the freedom to tell all kinds of stories and then bring in what you want in a way. Star Wars is already working with that, with the way that they bring in the expanded universe and legends and kind of canonize and decanonize them. So yeah, I think Rebecca, you are correct. A asks, I can sometimes be a bit burnt out from surfing the waves of the big IP content ocean. Can't we all? Would love to hear from you both what you think are some of the best standalone, original story, genre films or shows That may have gotten lost in this plethora in the last few years and need more appreciation. I love all these horror questions. Same. Jason, do you have any immediate things that stand out in the horror movies, shows that might not have gotten the love they deserve? Well, I've been talking.
1: Here's a movie that I've been talking about to you guys that I haven't mentioned on the pod Uh, George Miller. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of Mad Max, of uh, Babe Pig in, in the, the city. city fame. <laughs> um, released a movie, couple, I, mean, I want to say a year and a half ago, a couple years yeah. ago, starring uh, Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton, titled A Thousand Years of a Longing. I almost say solid, I, almost, I keep almost saying solid. <laughs> of course you do. And um, it's fucking great. It's great. Go see it. It's about a woman who unleashes a genie And the relationship they have. And it's a lot about, it's honestly just like a story about storytelling Mm -hmm. and how we create, uh, how we turn our lives into a story, how we can turn it into the story that we want to hear and see. It's really wonderful and I loved it a lot.
3: Yeah, mine would be, I think I have recommended this before on the podcast, but if, I think it was because um, Jeff passed away, sadly. But there is a movie that I just adore that's out there with my favorite horror movies of all time. It's called Blood Quantum. It was written and directed by Jeff Barnaby. It's a 2019 like Canadian horror movie. And it's basically about a zombie apocalypse that happens in Canada. And then what oh. if... And it's like, what if the indigenous community in the Micmac, uh community were not infected? And what oh, if everyone else was. And it's so good. It's furious. It's angry. It has a brilliant cast, including K. Devery Jacobs from uh, Reservoir Dogs. and uh, Michael Grey Eyes, who's like an absolute legend. But it's like so good. And it is just like, I would love to see it at the movie theater. It was only ever on Shudder, so I never got to. But it is just like gory, fast paced, like brilliant. Sh- Shudder is really good for that kind of stuff. They also had a show that I was really into, Shudder is in, great. It's so good. and Great came, documentaries also. Oh my gosh. If you're a fan unreal of horror, documentaries. watch
1: the documentaries about horror on Shudder. They're so good.
3: Yeah. And it's like, they did a show that I also really loved. There was a New Zealand show, another indigenous show called The Deadlands. And it was like, it's a little bit more Xena-ish, even though it's not as serious, but it's still kind of gory. And it's about oh, a warrior who has to get like sent back into The Deadlands and they come back from the afterlife to kind of find redemption. And that is just so good. Like if you like fantasy and horror, that's just such a good show. And both of those I think are up there for stuff that should have gotten a lot more shout outs. And I mean, if you wanted to watch Prey and then watch Blood Mm. Quantum, I think you would be having a really special double bill of really great indigenous genre horror.
1: Rob asks, uh, Seaward Invasion was a mess on both the micro and macro levels. Uh, which mega franchise do you think will be the first to decanonize an existing tentpole part of the franchise, a la When uh, EU Star Wars became legends.
3: Wow! I think. Well, this is interesting. It's a. I think this is a really big question. I think it's a good yeah. question to ask. I also think the Star Wars not
1: count because they kind of do it all the time. I think in a way
3: they're already doing it. Because yeah. think of something like Agents of Shield. Yeah, that was MCU canon. It was sold King. as MCU canon. Kang, it's about (laughs) to happen, baby. I just don't think they're going to do it. I think we're moved past the time of, like, somebody from corporate saying, we on this is no longer right, canon. Right. Like the, they did the with Chitaurian Legends. The invasion never happened. That made that kind of people, yeah. that makes people angry. It makes fans feel like they invested their time in something that isn't worthwhile or doesn't matter. So I think we're more in a space where it's going to be kind of like we talked about this before, Thor Dark World. A lot of that felt like it wasn't really important until they made it important again. And I think rather than decanonizing anything definitively, you're going to be in a space where something like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they had the Dark hold and they used a different one in the new movies yeah. they had uh, Morgana Le Fay but they, they're they gonna she's gonna be a different character you know like it's very interesting but I think they're kind of already doing it Yeah, I agree. they're just not and, and as as Rob greatly points out here he says Orwell Studios just say oh it's a different timeline yeah I think that's, that's more the that's thing. the same thing
1: <laughs> along those lines I do think like it is very possible considering the kind of structural issues that the MCU has with the with They're kind of original stars on the way out or largely having left already. And the the ongoing superhero fatigue, this kind of beset uh, culture. I do think that there is like a non-zero chance that the MCU is just like kills everybody. Galactus comes and kills everybody after Fantastic Four and they restart the whole thing I think so also
3: because if you're smart, in my opinion— The X-Men movies, the X-Men universe that they inevitably do under Marvel Studios doesn't need to be part of the MCU. That's just X-Men. You know what I mean? The MCU can be done. So I agree with you. I think that's really real. X-Ray Vision will be back.
0: At Angel's Envy, envy is a good thing. It motivates us in the pursuit of better. It inspires moments worth talking about. Moments worth remembering moments that raise the bar like crafting a bourbon even the angels would envy angels envy worth the envy please drink responsibly 2024 angels envy bottled by louisville distilling company louisville kentucky
4: when it comes to buying your first home everyone has questions
0: can we even afford to buy a house right now well i need to negotiate
3: And we're back okay ronan the key asks what's the best fan theory or wish this was true for you well this actually might be true but i'm gonna say
1: <laughs> that um
3: that paulie
1: betrayed tony at the end of the sopranos <laughs> and was the one who ordered slash engineered the what is clearly a hit. I mean, david chase, various david chase comments have made it clear that tony does die at yeah. the end of the sopranos uh, and there had been, for many years now, has been an active theory that uh, because of certain conversations that happen, and including one outside of Satriels, that Paulie is the guy who basically pushed the button to make it happen, and you know made a deal with New York so that he would then take over the family, and and I have always found it really compelling. And I continue to find it compelling and I hope it's true. What about you?
3: Yeah, I love that. Mine is, this is like a a movie pitch that felt very realistic for a little while, but is inevitably never going to happen. This was a comic shop favorite conversation when I was still working in the shop. And it was the idea that you would do a Fantastic Four movie and you would have Taika probably, as the kind of years went on, directing and playing Mr. Fantastic and it would begin in the 60s and be like an out there kind of tiger style mm. party and then you move them to the present MCU as like a fish out of water tale after they've been in the negative zone. That came up so many times as just something that like friends said or that I would think about and then multiple people started and I think when Matt Shackman first got kind of connected to it. That was the theory of like what the movie might be about. I don't think they'll do that. I think that the Fantastic Four will exist in their own space. But I really would have loved to see that kind of like swinging 60s Fantastic Four and then thrown mm. into a fish out of water scenario. That that's, would be really, it's, really, it's, really it's, fun. I still think it's the best way to do it. And I wish we hadn't kind of missed the boat for Taika being the right person on that. But yeah, that was that's mine that I think about a lot. Okay. <laughs> uh, Jan the Nil 1982 asks, What is the next Barbenheimer and why is it not Saw Patrol? Okay, so Saw Patrol,
1: (laughs) for those of you who are not online enough, is the idea that, much like the Barbenheimer phenomenon, Saw X, I believe it is. Yes, it is the tenth Saw movie. Saw X and the Paw Patrol uh, superhero movie will then combine to create this, uh, you know, cinema-going weekend <laughs> event called Saw Patrol. I, uh, honestly, like in terms of the label,
3: yeah, it's the great. La- well, I think that's the thing. It's the titling is so good. The titling is and amazing. The rhyme works, I will say, culturally outside of America. This is a lot harder to do because I don't know how many people know the ins and outs of movie rating yeah. systems, but our ratings are very, very unique. In England, for example, Saw will be rated 18 and no one under 18 will be able to go and see it. So I think that cuts off a little bit of that accessibility of Oppenheimer, where a lot of people could go and see both. Though actually Oppenheimer was R-rated, so maybe I'm wrong. Is the crossover as large for an animated kids movie <laughs> trying to get rid of the propaganda of the cartoon and turn them into superheroes? And a prequel about Jigsaw getting scammed by a cancer treatment unit so he decides to kill them all. Sounds like I would watch it, by the way. I don't know. But I do, I like, I don't like studios trying to recreate this. But I I do like how much fun people are having putting these things together. And Saw Patrol is just, it works so well in the name. Like you just can't, you can't hate it. But what will the next one be? We will never know and it will happen and it will be so random and we'll all be in shock. Though if you go and see Paw Patrol and Saw X on the same day, please tell us. um,
1: Gosh. uh, I'm just, like, picking one at random. (laughs) It's If they're going to do it, here's the movies that I think you could possibly do it with as the kind of, uh, as the more serious version of the movie, like the Oppenheimer in this formulation. I think you could do it with Dune Part 2. I think you could do it with... And it just, again, requires that other movie. I think you could do it with The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Yep. Honestly, Hunger Trolls, I think, could happen. The troll, <laughs> okay, Trolls. Okay, Hunger, Trolls is, Hunger <laughs> Trolls is good. Hunger <laughs> Trolls is good. Hunger Trolls is
3: good. Especially because Trolls is a musical. Yeah. And also the new Hunger Games movie is like an insane, like retro futuristic steampunk <laughs> movie. So they're very yeah. different. Um, I like that uh, Napoleon.
1: I've I continue to say it can happen. Napoleon. How about this Napoleon? So it's Napoleon (laughs) and Leo, starring Adam Sandler. Wow. Okay, that's the one because that's
3: cursed (laughs) as fuck. So the movie in the weekend would be would be called Napoleon. Wow. Ridley Scott. Listen to that one. Get get make it happen, baby.
1: Uh, okay. Uh, okay, next. Bertolt Mecht asks thoughts on the Hellfire Gala and the potential end of the best X-Men status quo since at least Morrison. I could argue best. I think it is best. I have not read the Hellfire yes. Gala. But listen, Rosie. Will I'm just talk gonna say, now.
3: I I agree. I'm not gonna do any spoilers, and listen out on your feeds for when we come back, because the Hellfire Gala issue or episode is is on it's too long to talk about right now, but. You're not wrong. And it's definitely going to be a conversation we have in the future.
1: Sarah asks, why have Marvel movies lost some of their sparkle lately? I think, you know, just this is naturally what happens. Yeah. Transitional phase. We're in a transitional phase. There are always going to be issues with regards to, the you know, the cast leaving. And I think clearly they overinvested in the space. (laughs) Yes. Saturation. (laughs) Which, Which honestly is... You could criticize them for this. I would argue that every single movie studio that had this rocket ship would have exactly done the same thing. Where is, where is the break-even point in the money? If mm-hmm. more money keeps coming out, the more we invest. Exactly. Then shouldn't we just keep investing and see how mm-hmm. much money comes out? Like every this is, uh, this is the incentive that underpins basically our entire system of doing things. Um, but I think this is always going to happen.
3: Yeah, it's you got to remember. Endgame. you're talking about like the biggest movie on earth it's gonna be incredibly hard to follow that up especially when those movies had been barreling along at such an unbelievable speed and rate of success i think it was a lack of planning yeah i think it is a slight confusion about what made people love the movies yeah and i also think it's this transitional phase how do you follow up the biggest movie in the world as we've seen it's really, really hard, really hard to do but that's not to say we haven't had incredible things. Vision. I still stand. that That is going to stand for years as just a truly great television series. And I think, as we've kind of spoken about before, the best thing about this phase, which seems kind of messed up and weird and, and in, you know, a lot of ebbs and flows, there's going to be a lot of cool stuff to kind of retcon and pull from. And also... If it leads to other people going and seeing movies like Barbie, Oppenheimer, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know, cool. Like, go see other movies and the MCU will still be around. These comics have been around for almost 100 years. The movies are still going to be here. But yeah, I think it's a lack of planning. And I think it's very, very hard to follow up the most successful movie of all time.
1: I think it's just very hard. The Chase asks, what's more important for franchise IP, satisfying old nerds or generating new nerds? Wow. Interesting existential question.
3: I believe it is a balance of both. I I think you have to introduce new audiences, hence why think about Star Wars. Think about superhero movies. Think about Ninja Turtles. A lot of what they're doing with those movies is selling merchandise to children. And that is the children's entry point into the movie. I think that making things accessible, I love the recall model. I love The Force Awakens. I love the new Scream movies. I think you can do something really fun where you have legacy characters, but introduce new audiences with new characters. I think the reason The Force Awakens was so successful financially is because it essentially was a retread of what worked well in Star Wars as a jumping off point to then something so different and incredible like The Last Jedi. I think that it's a balance of both. I think there's no harm in Easter eggs, in fan service. I love those things. I love seeing a character that I know. I love getting a nod to the source material. But I think nothing is going to survive without new audiences. So I, I think it's a balance of both. I think you're
1: exactly right. And I think for an example of something that got the balance way wrong, you can just look at a movie we recently covered, uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which made almost no attempt to bring uh, in uh, new fans. And it's just kind of like a movie for like t- t- seniors, I guess. Like, I guess? Like, and did they even like it? <laughs> I, you know, it's like not, it's,
3: yeah, that's what happens yeah.
1: when you get that balance wrong.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay, another good, thank you, Super Producer Soul, yeah. for these combinations because it's another great existential question my punny bone good name asks I'm just wondering if your mood or state of mind affects your viewing experience when you are watching fandom related content what does that mean so like I would say yes because like if I'm in a chill mood and I'm feeling open-minded and I just want to watch something fun I can enjoy something that is maybe objectively not great but if I'm feeling like Kind of bummed out and down watching something. I'll, I'll be honest, we we can't, watching Secret Invasion. Yeah. It could kind of bum me out. Like I'm not. If I wasn't in an open-minded mood, where I'm like, so many people worked yeah. on this. Like this is something that people spent a lot of time on. When I'm thinking like that, I can appreciate it. But if I'm feeling kind of down or something, and I watch something that doesn't necessarily adapt something that I really love, I can definitely be affected by it. I can also be affected by watching something. And that thing bumming me out. (laughs) If it's like depressing or even if it's really, really great, but still kind of bleak. Like I definitely have to, sometimes I just have to watch like a cozy murder mystery. If I'm feeling down, I can't be putting on like an anxiety inducing
1: show. I'm the same. And that's for any content. It doesn't have to be even nerdy stuff. Like I recently finished The Bear season two. Mm -hmm. And that's a show that like, I can't I'm longing out watching episode seven. I cannot do it. It's just too much, too much screaming, too much. People being toxic. Too many times I'm like yelling at the screen, just fire this fucking person already. Like, yeah, oh, you fucking and, quit if you don't want to do it. Yeah, I like, fucking like, quit. God. And it's, it's so well made that it just like creates those feelings in my body that I then have to be like, okay, I gotta just like watch. Below deck or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, I just gotta throw on, uh, you know, Vanderpump rules or something mm-hmm. very, very light. Um, yeah, absolutely. My yeah. mood, uh, I, all of which is to say, usually it's not my mood that affects how I respond to the thing, it's the thing affecting my mood. Yeah. Uh, Mike asks, Congratulations, Rosie and uh, Jason, for all their awesome writing lately. They Thank both you. have a lot of amazing things from cover stories to comics to movies. Uh, it's amazing as a fan to get to follow. I would love categorically any XRV writing discussion on really any aspects of those processes.
3: Okay, Rosie. So for me, um, I think me and Jason are actually quite similar on this. But like, I I love writing stuff, but finishing stuff is very hard. So something that I always try and do is just get through a first draft as quickly as possible. That is like my biggest tip, especially if it's something shorter, a comic script. A screenplay, a pilot, so guys. My, Donna my is smooching. <laughs> absolutely loves. She, she Super is smooching. Super producer Chris. She knows it's the last episode, and yeah. she's she's saying goodbye in a ra- romantic way. But yeah, <laughs> I I just I try and finish stuff. Doing something I'm trying to do at the moment. Same. I've got a novel that I'm trying to finish by the end of the year. I. I'm doing hour-long writing sprints and just separating an hour off and really, really trying to finish something. Also, something I'm doing is just appreciating how much actual writing output I have because I do writing challenges. I've done uh, 2000, 1,000 Words of Summer, which is really great. But the truth is, I didn't really realize until I started doing them that a lot of people don't really write anything in a day. But yeah. sometimes... Even if I'm not writing the thing I want to write, like a novel or a screenplay or a pilot or something, I will be writing like five thousand words for multiple outlets. So also just recognizing that my output is really high, and it's just about recentering on my stories. That's what I'm trying to focus on at the moment. So that's me. I try and do writing sprints, and also just try and finish the thing and then yeah, go back the and thing. edit.
1: That's my number one thing: is finish the thing. There's a great. I've I've purchased every single book about writing that there is to purchase and uh, one of the best ones, I'll give you my two favorites. On Writing by Stephen King, Mm -hmm. which just has great, great, great nuts and bolts, how to do it, what you don't need to do kind of stuff from a master storyteller and Anne Lamont's Bird by Bird, which is more of a philosophical take, but which has some of the great revelations that have like changed my writing life and the, the most important one is Shitty First Drafts. Yeah. Your first version of whatever thing you're writing is, is going to be bad. Let it be bad and don't question it. So I do the same thing Rosie does. Let's take a TV script, like a half hour uh, sitcom script, for example. I will try to write that in one or two days, like mm-hmm. as fast as I can, vomit it out with placeholder jokes like here, character A does a joke and character A, uh, character mm-hmm. B responds to the joke. Like, or some mean...
3: cliche dialogue
1: whatever. and you go back and- Just get it down. Because that's the hardest part because there's always that voice that's going to be there that goes, this fucking sucks. This is bad. Holy shit. This is so bad. What if people see this? And it's important that you have that voice because that's going to be the thing that powers you through the editing Mm -hmm. where you rewrite and you make it good. But you'll never get there if all you do is listen to that voice and you just, here's a thing that happens, has happened to me as I'm continuing to also continue to try to finish my novel is if I read what I wrote last night, then I'll just keep rewriting it. And I'll just keep rewriting it. And next thing you know, for two weeks I've been working on the same chapter, the same paragraph, two paragraphs in a chapter. Just finish it. It doesn't matter if it fucking sucks. It's supposed to. It's supposed to be really bad. It's supposed to be really, really, really shitty. Finish it and then go back and then you can make it better and make it better and make it better. So just like... It, it, I cannot stress this enough. For the f- your first draft, whatever you're writing, it's gonna suck. It's gonna suck. Mute the voice that is telling you it sucks, and just push through and to the end. The second you start feeling yourself reading two sentences before where you are, or three sentences or a paragraph, and going, "Oh shit, that's bad," stop and just maybe close the document and come back yeah. when you feel like you can just like fin- you can push through again. And just don't reread until you finish. That's it.
3: Yeah, and the other thing I would say, just find friends who want to read your stuff. They'll be the ones who help you go from bad first draft to great (laughs) second draft (laughs) to amazing third draft. With my... With my pilot and my screenplays, having friends read them over and go, oh, this works, or this doesn't work, or this person needs more, has been, like, invaluable. Yes. So I would definitely say that. That's
1: very important. And, <laughs> and to add on to that, when you're getting notes from your friends, again, super important to be able to have those people that you trust to give you the notes. If you're in a place where you're not finished, it's okay to tell them, hey, don't give me a note that will make me go back. <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, you know, just, again— It's the hardest thing to do, but finish. Finish it.
3: And you'll feel so good when you know you can finish one thing. it It makes finishing everything else so much easier. Yeah,
1: just finish it.
3: Up next, Nerd Out. Nerd Out, where you tell us what you love and why, a theory you're excited to share, or a quick question we can answer. And you have sent us so many over the last two years. H, friend of the pod and co-host of the Escape Hatch podcast, which you might know as Doom Pod, pitches us on honestly one of the best shows of like the last decade, which is Warrior.
2: Jason and Rosie, it's H. For the final Nerd Out of X-Ray Vision Volume 1, I wanted to point you all at the excellent TV show Warrior, currently streaming on Max. The show was created by Jonathan Tropper, the creator and showrunner of the groundbreaking action drama series Banshee that launched Anthony Starr's career, produced by Justin Lin, and is based on the writings of Bruce Lee. A historical martial arts drama set in 1870s San Francisco, it follows the story of our hero, Assam, a recent Chinese immigrant who comes to America with nothing to find his sister who was previously sent over. Assam is quickly sucked into the Tong Wars with competing Chinese gangs fighting for control of the illicit trades in San Francisco. The series features incredible martial arts action, all of which is extremely grounded, beautifully intricate, and always story-driven. But the show really shines because of the fantastic characters, including the heads of the competing Chinese gangs, the unemployed Irish masses indignant at a new wave of immigrants being exploited and taking their jobs the mostly Irish cops trying to keep the peace, and the business and political forces manipulating everyone to keep the money flowing, same as it ever was. All of this is set to a bangin' RZA-style soundtrack with each episode ending with a different killer Chinese rap song, so you will be seriously entertained while you take it all in. However, what makes this show truly unique is its representation of Asian and Asian American people. Series leads, Andrew Koji, Hoon Lee, Diane Doan, and Olivia Chang are never shown as characters, stereotypes, or side characters. Rather, they are the center of attention and fully flushed out with their own agency at the center of the show. I remember an interview with Alan Yang, producer of Loot and Master of None, saying that Hollywood never even shows the intimacy of Asian characters kissing. Well, this shows a hell of a lot more than that and leaves viewers with a lot to think about in terms of our legacy of exploitation, though never in a preachy or sanctimonious way. If you love great storytelling and stunning martial arts, this is the show you've been waiting for. The season three finale airs this week and all three seasons are streaming now on MAX. Watch the first five minutes of episode one and you'll be hooked. On a final note, On behalf of all the fans of the pod, including the fantastic community in the Discord, I wanted to say thanks to both of you and the entire production team for all the hard work and passion you've brought the last two years to make incredible episodes week after week. You've inspired us to not only be passionate about the stories we love, but to care about and support the creators and the unique stories they're telling. Thank
3: you. Cannot wait for volume two of the show to begin. Peace out. Thanks, H. If you have theories, passions, or quick questions you want to share, hit us up at at xrayatcrooked.com. Instructions are in the show notes. That's it for us, Rosie. Any plugs? Just uh, keep an eye on your feeds to hear where you're going to hear us next. You can follow me, Rosie Marks, at Instagram and Letterboxd. And yeah, like, thank you for listening.
1: Same here. Uh, We'll be back soon. Hopefully soon. We're we're not... Touch wood, hopefully soon. Uh, Secondarily... Uh, I co-wrote a movie with Shea Serrano that's on a uh, platform that's struck, so I won't mention it. But if you use the Google machine, you can figure out what it is and you can watch it if you want to. If you want to. Some quick thank yous uh, to some of the people who have been really so integral to the creation and running of this pod. Uh, it couldn't have happened without them. Uh, first and foremost, our are, are, are super producers, Chris Lord and Saul Rubin, who have been Woo. amazing every week, week in, week out, getting the prep ready, helping us with fact check, and just basically being kind of like a compass on what we're doing. Uh, Vasilis, who Woo. without Vasilis, everything would sound like crap. <laughs> You would never be able to hear us. It would sound bad. Delon, who without without whom you would never see us and never know what we look like, when a, <laughs> just a fantastic person. Ryan Wallisson, who came in late but helped me tremendously on take line and is just like an all around great guy. Uh, Nikki Shaner Bradford, uh, without whom uh, many of our omnibuses would have been factually wrong. <laughs> Just incorrect. Just inc- incorrect. Kendra James, who helped us on the management side. Jordan, uh, Sarah. Caroline Reston, who, again, was, like, really, really influential on TakeLine and, again, here on launching X-Ray Vision. Uh, Sandy Gerard, who just, like, helped put together so many of the really, really important pieces. Awe uh, Akulate, who, who uh, helped us on the social side so that people could uh, get the message out. Uh, Caroline Dunphy, same. Uh, ben. Uh, Desi on the marketing side, uh, Gabby Leverett, and, of course, the the founders, John, John, and Tommy, who, you know, gave us a shot here at Crooked and let us run a show that is crazy. Carlton Gillespie, who, again, helped uh, launch the show, and it was super, super important on the take line side. Um, And Brian Vasquez, who sadly is no longer with us, but wrote the fantastic and catchy title song to X-Ray Vision and all the kind of, like, interstitial little musical pieces Thank you to all of those folks. Yeah, could not have done it without and you. And thank you
3: to everyone who listened to the show yeah. and just sent your super cool questions and theories. Who joined us in the Discord, who left us really nice five star reviews, and who just supported the podcast and made this like a really incredible community.
1: We love we love bringing stuff that we love talking about to people who also love it. Yeah. So thank you to all of you.
3: You can watch full episodes of the podcast on YouTube now. Also check out our Twitter at XRVPod. And you can join our Discord where we will still be hanging out with all We're the coolest the fans. Discord. We're still in the Discord. It's still going, baby. And that's a great place to get info on what will happen next.
1: Five-star ratings, five-star reviews. We Nina, we got to have them. You got to give us this. Here's one from TrackMan. Best pop culture podcast out there! Wow, five star views. Thank that's you. That's Man, that's all you. That's it. That's it. Oh, that's way to end the <laughs> podcast. Thank you. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin, and executive produced by me, Jason and Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Video production by Delon Villanueva and Rachel Gajeski. Social media by Awa Okulati and Caroline Dunphy. Thank you to Brian Vasquez for our theme music. We'll be back. If you're looking for more takes on the nerd culture you know and love, we're excited to tell you about the Geek Buddies. The Geek Buddies, John, Michael, and Shannon are writers, critics, actors, and EPs, and most importantly, friends. And as the Geek Buddies, they're inviting you into their conversation where they discuss their first impressions of new shows, movies, give in-depth reviews, and generally just share their thoughts on everything geek in the world of entertainment. And boy, do they have thoughts. Since they've each been in the industry for a while, you won't just hear the fan experience, though they certainly are fans as well. They'll share the goss, their opinions from the creator side of things. So tune in to hear the latest on Marvel and DC, casting news for your favorite franchises, and so much more. You can watch The Geek Buddies on YouTube or listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So hang out with your buddies, The Geek Buddies. It's a great time over there.
0: It's literally a dead end.
4: But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best.
0: Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here.
4: REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated.